You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Throughout the month of December, we have been embarking upon a sermon series here at First Presbyterian, which we have called Witnesses to the Miracle. Each Sunday in the season of Advent, we have visited one of the witnesses, one of the lesser known characters in the story of Jesus' birth. We have visited the likes of Elizabeth and Zechariah, the parents of John the Baptist, of the angel Gabriel, of the shepherds in the field. And tonight we conclude that journey by visiting one final witness, the innkeeper. Now, for us to truly visit with the innkeeper, we first need to address the elephant in the room, or perhaps better put, the elephant in the text, which is that there is no innkeeper. If you go back and you read again those verses that Joanne read just a few moments ago from Luke's telling of the birth story of Jesus, it tells us that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. There is nothing in the telling of Jesus' birth about an innkeeper, per se. There is no narrative flourish like many of us might like to believe about the door being slammed shut and Joseph and Mary's face and being told quite clearly that there simply is no room in the inn for them. In fact, if you go and search a little bit beneath the surface, you find that the word that is translated in might just as easily be rendered guest room, as in there were no guest rooms left in Bethlehem. So many people had flooded the city to participate in the census. Now, regardless of whether it's guest room or inn, Regardless of whether there is an innkeeper or not, the fact remains that the story of Jesus' birth is a story about there clearly not being enough space, at least space in the sense we would expect for the Messiah, the Lord of all creation, to be born in Bethlehem. Now, on the one hand, there's something really powerful in that, right? That despite there not being space for Jesus, God still makes a way. There's something powerful in the fact that God can be born wherever God chooses. God doesn't need a reservation or an invitation even. God can just do what God wants. And if God wants to be born in a manger, well, by God, God can be. But on the other hand... The reality of there not being enough space for Jesus begs the question for all of us on this night. The question of whether or not on this Christmas there is enough space in us. Whether or not there is enough space in our church 
in our city, in our own hearts for Jesus. The retired professor and pastor, Tom Long, tells the story in his book, whispering the lyrics of a church which put on a production of the Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol. The church fellowship hall, Long writes, was transformed that night. It was a dinner and drama kind of night. I'm sure there was some fundraiser behind it. They transformed the fellowship hall into a theater. There were folding chairs clustered around tables going out into the deepest crevices of the room, all facing a makeshift stage that had been constructed at the front with painted backdrops of tenements and sooty chimneys of 19th century London. When the audience gathered that night and were handed their programs, some were rather amused to note that the part of the tight-fisted Ebenezer Scrooge had been casted to be played by the chairman of the church board, a gentleman of quite unscrooge-like generosity. They were all impressed, though, long remembers, by the skill and energy Scrooge brought to his part that night. He growled his way through the opening scenes, ringing out every bahumbug with miserly ill will. He shivered with fright and dreadful self-recognition as he was encountered by the series of Christmas ghosts. And then the final scene came in the performance, that scene which calls for a transformed and jubilant Scrooge to chase the shadows off and to greet the light of Christmas Day by flinging open his bedroom window and crying out for all to hear, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Then Scrooge, you might recall, wishing to bestow Christmas gifts upon the needy of London in that scene and looking for someone to help dispense his cheer was to act as if he spied out on the street a young boy passing by and to cry out, hey, you boy there, won't you come up and help? The mirthful Scrooge was about to shout and pointing vigorously at this imaginary figure out there in the audience, come up here, boy, he said, I've got something wonderful for you to do. But then, Long says, something unexpected something wonderful suddenly happened. When the radiant Scrooge beckoned from the window, come up here, boy, I've got something wonderful for you to do. A six-year-old boy in the audience that night, seated with his family who were members of the congregation, spontaneously rose from his seat and walked onto stage, ready to do something wonderful. The actor playing Scrooge blinked in disbelief. There was now an unscripted child from the audience standing on center stage. What was he to do? The audience, Long tells us, held its breath. The person of faith behind the veneer of Scrooge took charge. Bounding down from his window perch, he strode across the stage and cheerily embraced the waiting boy. Yes, indeed, he exclaimed, his voice full of blessing. Yes, indeed, you are the very one I had in mind. 
he said to that little six-year-old boy suddenly standing there on stage, yes, indeed, you are the very one I had in mind. The boy made his way back to his seat, but when the curtain call came, the audience held its loudest and warmest applause for that young boy the one who felt himself personally summoned from his seat to do something wonderful. They held their applause for him, and it dragged on and on. Won't you come up and do something wonderful? I think the audience at the end of that performance recognized something in that boy, something like a heart that was open and eager to make space for Jesus. Pretend with me for a moment that there was an innkeeper that night all those years ago. Now, It is possible, I suppose, that the innkeeper, upon hearing the knock, explained to Mary and Joseph that there was no room in the inn and slammed the door in their face. But you know what I prefer to believe is that had there been an innkeeper, when that knock came, he or she Mary and Martha owned their own home. That innkeeper would have leapt to their feet ready to do something wonderful. That that innkeeper would have explained to that young frightened couple on the doorstep, listen, there's no room left inside. I've even given up my own bed. But come out back. There's a manger. Let me do what I can to make it as comfortable as possible. I want to believe that that innkeeper was ready to make room in their heart for the Christ child to come into the world, yes, but also into their very own life. There's a wonderful prayer by the late pastor and Christian writer, Elizabeth O'Connor. She once prayed, Lord Jesus, come again. Thy spirit impart. Make as an empty inn my lone and fearful heart. Friends, suppose for a moment that there really was an innkeeper. I want to believe that the prayer on their heart was the same prayer that might be on our hearts this Christmas Eve. Lord Jesus, come again. Thy spirit impart. Make as an empty inn our lone and fearful hearts. Friends, this Christmas, When Jesus comes, may he find space in each of our hearts. For the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world, may it be so now and always. Amen.